I think life should be and, and is about service, about giving to another human being. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Consciousness is always evolving and our present perception becomes our conscious reality. Is life happening for you or is it happening to you? A life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing your values. You are perfectly human and even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. If you seek truth and move in love, then your family. I invite you to have a seat at our table. You are listening to an authentic outlier, the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Is That So Show. I have a very special guest with me today, Mr. Terry Tucker. How you doing, Terry? I'm great, Harry. How are you? I am doing perfectly splendid, man. I'm excited. You are my finisher, my closer for today. And so Mr. Tucker is right beside me. We about to jump right on into this. Again, this is the Is That So Show. We all about Is That So-ness, where it's about equanimity, which is the ability to remain serene in spite of being bombarded by so many stressors. And it's these stressors. Uh, most of us uh, will pass away in transition earlier from stress-related diseases, preventable diseases. And so is that so this is really about understanding that you, even though you can't change your situation, maybe you can change your perspective. And you'll notice that when you change your perspective, that your environment also seems different, even though it's the same environment, it feels different. It doesn't quite do have the same impact on you that it did before, you know, and as you change your perspective in the affirmative, affirming what it is that you actually choose for your life, as opposed to the the negative, which is what you don't want and staring what you don't want and speaking from a place of don't wantness, as you continue to affirm your reality, you realize that your physical reality begins to match that which you affirm in your life repeatedly. And so is that so-ness is about detaching from what does not serve us so that we can then affirm our reality and step into our truth, ergo becoming lit for life, living in truth. And so, Mr. Tucker, I always give a, like a five minute like prelude or whatever. And that was my little brief version of that. What you think about what I said so far, sir? And, and again, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I've had a nine year battle with cancer that has seen me lose my foot, lose my leg, and all kinds of other things. And I always have people come up to me and they're like, I could never do what you did. I could never go through what you went through. And my response is usually something like, yeah, you're right. Because you've already decided in your brain, in your mind, that you can't do this. Why would you go into anything? You know, I always think of the, the kid in college who's, you know, parties all night and has a big exam the next day. What do they usually say? Oh, man, I'm going to blow this exam because I stayed out late and partied. Why wouldn't you go into the test saying, you know what? Yeah, I stayed out and partied, but I paid attention in class during the semester and I'm gonna do well on this. It's all how you look at it and it's all your choice. So how did you come to this conclusion that it's all in how you look at it? And, and if you can elaborate more on the, of course I'm playing devil's advocate here because you heard the way I came in the building, but can you elaborate a little bit more on you know exactly like what the authority or what power, what is the importance of, of how you think about it? So we're all going to have pain in our lives. 
And, and it doesn't have to be like my like cancer pain or anything like that. You can flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take it and use it to make you stronger and tougher and more determined? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? Now, I, I guess I want to make sure everybody understands. There's no S on my chest. I do not wear a cape. So I'm a human being. I have bad days. I cry. I get down. I feel sorry for myself. I just don't let myself stay there for any appreciable amount of time. And I've come to realize that that makes me a better human being. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The crowd. They're going wild. They're going wild. They're throwing roses. Y'all can't see them. They're throwing roses. Oh, oh, my goodness. A standing ovation. They just won't sit down. Y'all cut it out now. We got to continue this show. We got to continue this show, y'all. Man. 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 Okay. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. And you know it's synchronicity because I can't even fake it. I did a live show. First live show today on uh, Ask the Question is what I call it. Ask the, well, what we called it. Ask the Question. Live with my ops director, Hannah. Hannah from Canada. And in that, literally, like I just got done with that about a half an hour or so ago, I said that exact same thing. What you just said, I said that exact same thing, man. And so, look, I, I, let me give a little bit more of a background so people know, because you're talking about how you defeated cancer, but people don't know your story. So I'm going to read a little bit of the story. So Mr. Tucker, he says, I will teach you how to achieve your uncommon and extraordinary life when everyone else just seems to be getting by. Oh, yes. Moving, what I say is that's moving from the passenger seat to the driver's seat of your destiny. But I digress. In many ways, I believe I'm just like any of the billions of people existing on this planet. I have reinvented myself frequently over my professional career. Career, And this is the part that I wanted to read because I want you to know just a little bit about his background. After I graduated from college at the Citadel, where I played NCAA Division I basketball, I was employed in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International in Dublin, Ohio. And from there, I worked in hospital administration for Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. After getting married and moving to California for my wife's job, I became the customer service manager for an academic publishing company in Santa Barbara. After our daughter was born and we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, I became a police officer with the Cincinnati Police Department, where I was a SWAT hostage negotiator. Following a family relocation to Texas, I started a school security consulting business and coached high school girls basketball in Houston. Each time I took on a new job, I had to develop new skills and face different challenges. There was always a significant learning curve with every new position. Now, I know I got your intro right now because I read it straight from your profile. So I know it's right. Sir, that is quite the array, quite diverse. I see diversity in the workforce for you. And so from SWAT to coaching to like, how did you? Talk about your journey. Sure. So you sort of, I guess I sort of have to put the resume in context. If, let me back up. My, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States, during the Great Depression in the 30s, when the gangs, Al Capone and all that were shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle, 
But my dad always remembered the stories that my grandmother told of the knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So when I expressed interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get a job when you get out. You're going to get married, have 2.4 kids and live in the suburbs. And that's sort of a joke. But in a lot of ways, it was. It wasn't because my dad had my whole life planned out. But it was the life he wanted me to live, not the authentic life that I knew I needed to live. So if you look at my first two jobs, when I graduated from college, my dad was dying of cancer. And I had a choice. I could take on what I wanted to do and go into law enforcement, or I could not upset my father, and I could go into business. And I chose the latter. And, and I did that because I know my dad did what he did for me out of love, certainly not out of spite. And I didn't want to hurt him anymore as he was dying. So my first two jobs were in business at, at Wendy's at their corporate office and as a hospital administrator. But my passion, my why was always to go down the law enforcement route. And I, I sort of joke that, you know, I did what most good sons do. I waited till my father passed away. And then I followed my dreams. And, you know, it wasn't easy. I was a 37-year-old rookie cop. So, it, you know, it wasn't like I was in my 20s. I was, you know, almost middle-aged before I finally got to the point where I was able to follow my dreams. But I'm so glad I got to do that. 37. I've been looking at certain articles that have been saying 37 actually is the magical age when most men take off. like. That's like our launching pad. We thought it was like 25 and we said 30, but now it's like 37. And there's a lot of research, like the newer, the newer thinkers, the new business, the new money, new millionaires. 37 is usually when, boom, something happens. And it's like, I'm done playing around. I'm done living a lie. I'm going to live my truth. And I'm a, I'm a nosedive all in it because I wasted too much time not doing it. What you're saying, I, I so appreciate you saying that because it's... That is what I call a, a generational burden, you know, a family burden, because in respect, out of respect for your father, you honored not going down the authentic path. But the only path that any of us are meant to go is meant to go down is that path of authenticity down up the road of our truth. So essentially, you were asked and you honored doing something that you knew would never serve you, you know, but again, forgiveness in that space, because it's forgive them for they know not. Your father most certainly didn't mean to place a burden on you. He did what he thought was love. But this is where I say, and I'm going to pause after this, this is where I say the natural order of, of humans is to first love, and then we fear losing that which we love. And so then we do things that we call love, but we've attached fear to it. And fear attached to love, if you put one poison, one drop of poison in the well, it poisons the entire well. And so now we teach our kids and indoctrinate our kids with fear, but then put it under the title of love, which then harms them, you know, not that they ever mean it now, you know, again, it's, it's, it's all, we all have to do this unlearning process, every single human being. And we, I don't have any kids, but if I had kids, I'd be doing the same thing in my own way that my parents did, you know, because time continues to move forward. Right. You know, and so every generation should as should, as the order goes, no more than the previous generation. So we got to honor and respect that, you know? Anyway, that's my that's my take, brother. But man, yeah. So come on, continue with your story, man. You, you went back to being an authentic person, going down that path. 
I, I did. And so you, you, I guess I got to back up just a tad. So when my wife married me, I was a you know suit and tie, eight to five, Monday through Friday, hospital administrator. And we get married and moved to California for her job. And I just happened to come across this advertisement for a class at Santa Barbara City College. You take the class, you can apply to be a reserve police officer with any jurisdiction you know, in, in the state. But I was obviously living in Santa Barbara. So I, I one night at dinner, you can imagine this conversation. Hey, honey, I'd like to be a police officer. What do you think about that? And she was so supportive. And she, she'll tell you, I mean, if she was here, she said, you'd work your, your job all week. And then Friday night, you'd come home, put on your uniform, go to roll call, work all night without any sleep and come home Saturday morning with this big grin on your face. Like, I just loved what we did tonight. We got to help people. We got to make a difference. And so when our daughter was born and we moved to Cincinnati, I was like, I'd like to do this full time. And she supported me in doing that. And I was able to do it for 10 years. And then she lost her job. And she's the primary breadwinner. So I had to support her now. She wasn't able to find a job in Cincinnati. We had to move to Houston where she did find a job. But again, it's all about, you know, how you perceive yourself. I knew cops that had been cops for 30 and 40 years, and their whole identity was tied to that gun and that badge. I, I, I had an undergraduate degree. I had a master's degree. I'd been to law school. I knew I could do more. I knew I could start my own business. And our daughter got my height. You can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight. And my daughter got my height and an NBA three-point shot. So I wanted to coach her in high school. So I had my own business. I was able to ramp that up in the off season, ramp it back during the basketball season. But then in 2012, I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And I, I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist friend of mine and he took an x-ray. He said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. Showed it to me, a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. He said, but I'm going to send it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I became until he just laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I've never seen the form of cancer you have. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears either on the palm of your hands or the bottom of your feet. And I recommend you go to MD Anderson, which is one of the better cancer hospitals in the United States and be treated. And that started my nine year journey through cancer. Mm. So how was that like receiving that news and then the journey? It was, it was scary. You know, I, I mean, I had, when, when I watched my dad go through cancer and, and again, my dad was of a generation where men didn't go to the doctor. And, you know, so when he was diagnosed, he was an end stage breast cancer back in the 1980s. They, they didn't know what to do. They threw stuff at the wall just to see if it would stick. And so I, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that happening for me. I'm going to have a physical every year. I'd always been athletic. I'm going to eat right. I'm not going to abuse drugs. And I, I did everything. And then I got this disease. And I, you know, people were like, you know, well, who do you blame? We always want to blame somebody for things in life that don't go our way. We never want to take responsibility for our own success and happiness. You know, we want to blame our parents or, you know, our teachers or our station in life. I didn't blame anybody. 
you know, people are like, you know, do you blame God? Well, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, looked at his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer. I don't think God did that. (laughs) 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 Okay. The crowd, they found that funny too. They found that funny too. (laughs) Oh, my bad, man. Please continue, man. That was a good one. Oh, But, but, you know, so I'd done everything right. And I, and I went through the gamut of emotions that people go through during grief and things like that. You know, the bargaining, the, the being angry, the being depressed and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized, you know what? These are the cards that I've been dealt. And I have to play these cards and I have to play them to the best of my ability. Mm. So I, mm. I, I got rid of, you know, who, who's to blame? I don't care. I don't care who's to blame. Blaming somebody isn't going to help me. But figuring out how I can live this life how I can live my best life with cancer. And so I go to MD Anderson. I have the bottom of my foot cut out. I have all the lymph nodes in my groin taken out. And when I heal, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon, as my doctor said, just to keep the disease from coming back. It was not going to cure me. And what interferon did for me was it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years and it not being a cure for what was ailing you. You know, 2017, I end up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because the medication is just too toxic to my body. Soon as I stopped it, the disease came back. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. The disease just creeped up my leg into my shin, two more surgeries in 2019. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse during the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm being treated for now. Mm -hmm. Brother. Okay. How you doing? I'm great. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Wait. Yeah. You great. I'm great. That was a lot, man. That was a, that was a tall list. That was a tall list, man. I, and I'm not even in, in any way making light of, of what you're going through because I don't even, I can't even fathom all of that, but it sounds almost like the, what is that movie? A series of unfortunate events. events. Yeah. Yeah. That, immediately that's the movie that popped in my head, man. And it's yeah. So please continue how this is where you are now but you feel great. Well, I, I, I feel mentally great. I, I am on a clinical trial. I've been on it for a year where I go to the hospital every day for a week and I'm infused with a clinical trial drug that basically has me throwing up and shaking and a fever. And it, it's just, it's an ugly and a nasty kind of drug. But I'll t- here's what I, and it's not going to save my life. It, it, it may prolong it a little bit, but it's not going to save it. But here's one thing I learned from basically playing team sports from, you know, when I was nine all the way up, you know, till I was 21 and graduated from college is that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Hmm. And, and I learned that in team sports, because you know what, if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down. You let your your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the the greatest team game that we all play is this game of life. 
And I know that, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, the doctors are going to develop a drug based on what I'm going through, based on my blood work, based on my scans, that's going to save somebody else's life. I'm not going to be here for it, but that's part of being something bigger than yourself. And I'm good with that. And so when I'm sitting there and throwing up and I'm shaking, it's not about me. It's about us. It's about being, you know, we, especially young people today, they get criticized for, you know, well, what's in it for me? If nothing's in it for me, I'm not going to do it. Well, for, for team sports, what that taught me is, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about you. It's about us. And us together can do anything we set our minds to. Mm. The gravity of what you just said, though. So you, you don't expect to be here 10 years from now. I, I don't expect more than likely to be here this time next year. Come on, man. That's what okay. you feel. And you no, not but it's not a but. And you feel great. I feel mentally. I mean, yeah. mentally great. I feel I do. I, I do. I, I I guess I've learned. I, I, I'll give you another story. I, I had a nurse recently who came to me and said, you know, when I first met her, she was in training on my unit. She was already a nurse, but she was in training. And several months ago, she was taking care of me on her own. And she, she said, you know, I've got a story to tell you, but I'm really kind of nervous about telling you. And, and she's young. She's about 25 years old. And I said, well, just, just tell me. She said, all right. She said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I'd had a good friend of mine die, and I was in a really dark place. And I talked to my parents. I was going to quit nursing and go to work for Amazon. And she said, then I met you. And I heard your story and I see what you go through every day and you keep coming back every week for this treatment, every week for this treatment. And she said, I knew I was in the right place. Now, how many people out there, Harry, who you don't have any idea who they are, want to be like you? How many people out there want to be like me? How many people out there want to be like somebody else? And I remember when I was young, a young man, I was very, I was kind of a disciple of John Wooden, who was a basketball coach out at UCLA back in the 1970s. And I remember a saying that Coach Wooden had, and, th and this is the saying, he said, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. If that nurse had never told me that my life had an impact on her, I would have never known. How many people are out there that we have no idea are looking to be like us, are looking to emulate how we approach life? So I'm not going to approach life down and upset and pissed off. I'm going to approach life positively and set the best example I can with whatever time I've got left. And with that time that you have left, what are you choosing to do with it? Put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation as much love back into the world as I possibly can. And for you and accomplishing that, what does that do? That makes my life have a purpose. You know, my purpose at one point in my life was to be in law enforcement. I think my purpose now is to do what I just mentioned to you. And now that you said what it does for you, what do you think that does for the whole of society? I hope it makes it better. I, I hope people can look at, you know, pain and discomfort and use that. You know, when I, when I found out I had all this stuff going on, I went to the mortuary, I went to the cemetery, I went to the church and I planned my funeral. And the funny thing about it was 
I had people that kind of gave me some brushback on that. It's like, you know, don't you think that's kind of negative? And, you know, I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. But the point I was trying to make was everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And there's a there's an old Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I'm looking for. Hold on. Apparently the crowd loved that as well. Sir, if I had a hat, I would tip it towards you. You know, I have to take this opportunity to ask, have you heard of Bonnie Ware's regrets before dying? Yes. And, you know, I want to, based on, do you feel that you have any of those regrets? Are there any regrets there? I, I don't have very many regrets. If you look at my resume, I've done a lot of things. Got, you know, I've, I've been exposed to a lot of things and I've had a great life. The things that I regret are the times that I feel I was selfish and I hurt another person because of that. And and there and I know who some of those people are, and I've actually tried to make amends at this point to to let them know that that I'm sorry. I can't go back and live the past. I can only start from where I am and live forward. But those people that I hurt, I, I want to say I'm sorry to, and and it and it 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 means something to me. It's not just oh I'm sorry. No, I, I really am sorry that my selfishness hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know is selfishness. And I want to get your take on this since I know that that's coming from the heart. And so I'm, I'm curious about how you would resonate with what I, my take on this, this thing of selfishness. And so for me, selfishness or to be selfish is to be not oneself to, to be selfish is to be like, if you have something that's red and I said it was red ish, we understand that it's red, but not quite red, you know? So in that, in those states of selfishness, we are ourselves, but not quite ourselves. And so in that space, we are our not self. And what I call our not self is that space where we get into where we're triggered based off of our fears. And then an ego protector comes up and then possesses us in that space. And then we become very narrow sighted. And so we are operating in a space of just that part and what that part of us wants, knowing that there is a family that lives within us, that lives within us. And so since that part's priority and agenda gets prioritized, we are being selfish in that state and that we're not considering the good of the whole internally. And that manifests in the physical realm because we're not considering the good of the whole externally as well. You defeat the enemy within, the enemy without can do you no harm. So how does that theoretical explication of, of selfish, how does that resonate with you? I, I, I think it resonates very well with me. I, I, but I guess I would add to that, sometimes you have to hurt other people to be true to yourself, to, to be the authentic self. And I think that's very important. I don't think, you know, kind of going back to my dad's situation, if I would have lived the life my dad would have wanted me to live, that wouldn't have been an, an, an authentic Terry Tucker. That would have been the the Terry Tucker that my dad wanted. So, and I and I'm not saying this is easy. It's not. I mean, I understand that family in a lot of people's lives is very important. You don't want to upset your whoever it is, your grandmother, your mom, your dad, you, whoever is raising you. You don't want to upset that person because they're operating out of love. But at the same time, sometimes you've got to get people out of your life that are not good for you. 
you know, I always say this, Harry, if I didn't know you, but I knew the five people that you hung around with the most, I'd know a whole lot about you. And if you think about it, why would you have negative people in your life? That, that's one thing that drives me nuts is people that say, I can't do this. You know, and we talked about this earlier. You know, people have come up. I could never do it. You're right. You could never do it because you've already gotten in your head and said you absolutely couldn't do it. And the, the obstacles that are in our lives are so much the obstacles that we place there. I, I remember, and you may know about this, there was a study done back in the 1950s by a man named Richter, uh, a professor at, at Johns Hopkins University. And what this study did is he took rats and he put them in water that were over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And right as they were about ready to, to drown, to sink, he grabbed the rats, he pulled them out, he dried them off, he let them rest for a while, and then he put them back into that same tank of water. And the second time around, the rats on a hole treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. 15 minutes originally, 60 hours the second time. And what that said to me were two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We've got to have hope in our lives. And two, how much more the, the physical body that we have can do than we ever thought that it could possibly do. The Navy SEALs, some of the toughest men in the world, have their 40% rule, where they say, you know, if you can't run another step or do another push-up or swim another lap, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you still have another 60% left to give to yourself. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, kind of a, I kind of No, no, you. I love it. Look, I agree with everything you said, man. I don't think we're in disagreement at any point. You know, I think you, you've added on to some things and I'll back it up with, with my man Arnold. You know, he said that, you know, I, I believe a news reporter or somebody was interviewing him and he asked him, yo, yo Arnold, how many push-ups can you do? He says, I don't know. I only start counting when it starts hurting. It's in that space of pain that, that, that growth happens. You know, there is no growth without resistance. And so resistance means uncomfortable. It means discomfort. It means pain. And so when, but when you lean into that pain, knowing that your pain has a purpose, it takes on a different meaning for your life. The same way that we lean into our pain when we go to the gym, regardless of how much we enjoy it, it's still pain and stress on the body. But because we know that it has a purpose and we're doing it with intention, it doesn't feel like pain or it is it, enjoyable type pain. I love the pain of working out and then my body healing the next morning, knowing that I did push-ups to the point where I couldn't do push-ups anymore. That pain and the, the process of it rebuilding that I could barely lift up a spoon the next day. I love that pain. Why? Because I know what purpose it serves. And so when we don't understand the purpose of our pain, that's when we that's when we start to wallow and 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 sit in the why, you know, and trying to understand that instead of continue to move on until we understand if reason comes on your path as you continue to move forward, then so be it. But we also got to accept the fact that we don't know everything and we don't really need to know everything. All we need to know is what choice will we choose next based off of what we have available right now. You know, and it sounds like you've done that and leaned to that discomfort again and again, my friend. Yeah, I, I mean, my pain is going to end someday. You know, it, it may end through surgery. It may end through medication. Quite frankly, man, when I die. But if we quit, if we give up, if we give in, pain will always be part of our lives. And I think that's that's so important to remember that, you know, you, you can win the day. I, I remember when I was on interferon, I, I 
There were days, Harry, that I, I literally prayed to die. It's like, God, please take me out of this constant flu that I, you know, the aches, the throwing up, the headache, everything that we, we associate with flu. It's like, please take me out of this. But he didn't. And, and I am so grateful that he didn't because I grew in that. And I knew that I needed to win the day. And I, I, people always, you know, it's like, how do you eat the elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. So if you've got an issue, if you've got a problem, if you want to be a better person, don't look at it in the aggregate. Look at it. I always tell people, what if you got 1% better every day? At the end of 30 days, you're 30% better than when you started. And, and you're not looking at it like, oh, my God, I've got this, whatever it is, I got to lose weight or I want to get in shape or, or whatever you decide you want to do. What if you just got 1% better every single day? The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I tell my people this because I want them to understand where I stand at, because they do have questions about how I do things personally. And I mean, outside of the social influencing space, my private practice, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I tell them that my you know, definition of success, I believe that success is an endurance test. And so how long? Are you willing to continue moving forward? How long can you continue building that that arc plank by plank? You know, how long are you willing to stare at your dream until it becomes a reality? How long? You know, and so that endurance test, as long as you say yes, most of the time, you have no choice but to be successful because it's cause and effect, whatever your, your version of success looks like. And I believe that that's exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about moving just 1%, you know, or a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, you know, or, you know, these different variations of what exact same principle that we're honing on, you know, that we're talking about. So what is your, you know, when you talk about, you know, this being potentially the last year, you don't expect to be here this time next year, which is, it just speaks volumes to your character. And oh, man, I appreciate that with this this limited time that you perceive you have that you would spend some of it with me. So I'm extremely honored and humbled with that. Cause that's, that's valuable, man. That time, you know, man, thank you. So my question is, go ahead. I believe, you know, you said this in, in the beginning before we came on and began recording, but I know that single celled organisms, their, their primary purpose, they make sure that they do is, to spread information forward, to exchange that DNA information, to send it forward, ensuring the survivability of, of the species. And so, and we continue to evolve because the one constant in this world is change. And so as we evolve and we pass forward information, these, these cells, they continue to evolve with the time. And so with you saying that you wanted to share this, this vision, is that, does that encapsulate pretty much? You're not a single cell organism, okay? you're a human being, all right? Let's just get that understand, understood. But I know that the collective is a representation of everything all the way down to the single drop. And so I use that example of single celled organisms to also speak to what I believe is the larger charge for all of us as humans, you know? And so that is to spread that or share that knowledge, that information that we have and pass it forward, you know? So is that what you would say your charge is this 
this this last stretch if this is your last stretch? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I I would say all of us, regardless of whether you're you know in the last year of your life or, or in the beginning of your life, I think life should be and and is about service, about giving to another human being. And and I remember a couple months ago, my my oncologist let me look at my CAT scan from back in 2020 when all this stuff was going on in my lungs, and I had. I, I, I'm not a medical person. I, I you know, I, but I kind of understand what belongs where and things like that. And I had fluid all around my lungs. I had these big tumors in my lungs. And I looked at my oncologist and I was like, how was I alive? He's like, I have no idea how you were alive. And, and that to me says, you know, the, the consciousness, the creator, God, whatever, he, he's not done with me yet. And, and when he is, I'm good with that because I found my purposes in life and I live them. And if you do that, death is not as scary as, as we all get, you know, we don't want to talk about that. I mean, I've got neighbors that I can't bring up. Hey, I went to the cemetery and planned my funeral. Nope, they don't want, nope, don't want to hear about that. Don't want to talk about that. Get away from me. But, you know, I, again, it goes back to what I said. Everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Not, every, not everybody really lives. Mm-hmm. And I have really lived. So having lived, death is not that scary for me. So yes, I'm very, I'm almost to the point of excited to see, because I believe in God. I I have a very deep faith. I'm interested to see what's on the other side of this. And I mean, I know I can't earn my way into heaven, but I I think God's telling me, you know what, you need to be doing this stuff right now. And and that's what I want you to do. And I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. I can shoot my mouth off for a long period of time. So things are good. <laughs> <laughs> man, this is awesome, man. You know, yeah, I, I I say it does take on, life does take on a different meaning. You know, my my favorite author, you know, he says, you know, if you want to understand life, look at it in the heart of death. And if you want to understand death, look at it in the heart of life. You see, when you when you accept your mortality, life does change. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have cancer to accept your mortality. You you accept mortality at any point in time because there's, I really believe that I've accepted mine because it, when it comes down to death, I always say, you know, I really don't have any opinion on it because I've never really had it done before. And so, <laughs> and so since I've never experienced it, actually, I'm kind of curious, you know, but I believe that that level of, of, assurance when it comes down to a transition i believe that that is reserved for those who move in purpose who live in truth because you know that you that you're doing what you're called to do and when you're called away you know that you were called away doing exactly what it was that you were called to do and with that you can go home with your head up high i i totally agree and i i guess you you mentioned truth and, and I think these last nine years have kind of solidified what I call my four truths. And, and I'd like to give them to you. They're, they're just Please. one sentence. And I have them on a post-it note. I have them sitting here in my office. I see them multiple times a day. The first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. 
The Mm -hmm. third one is more of a legacy truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave into the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, and I love these truths because they are, they are imprinted on the bedrock of my soul, for lack of, of, of a better term. I mean, they, they are things that I've experienced, that I understand. Some of them I learned when I was 15 years old. Others I've learned a little more recently. But those are my truths. And, and I, I put them out there for people to use. I mean, if they work for you, great. If they don't, you know, if one does, you know, use it for yourself. If, if it doesn't, find what your truths are in life and live those truths. Again, going back to the end of your life, you're going to be a whole lot happier and a whole lot more at peace. So, sir, thank you. Thank you again. And you know how they say, you, you've heard the saying, real recognizes real. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how I know that you're real. Because even though you're using different words, you're still talking about the same process that I'm talking about. The same truths that I rely on are the same truths that you're relying on. Even the sincere, and I hear the sincerity, the sincere ask or request that those that you have caused harm to, that you that they forgive you. And I do understand the importance of that harm happening for both parties, because pain is the breaking of a shell that encloses your understanding. Sometimes we can't see that pain within us until that pain shows up on the other. And it happens like that. And and we wish that it didn't happen, especially to those that we love, but we all do it. It's either you're aware of it or you're not aware of it. But just like you've done it, you've had it done to you. And even those that may still harbor resentment for you, they've done it to others. Whether they are aware of it or not, it's just a matter of awareness. We are all colliding into each other. We are all here to teach each other a lesson, be it a painful or pleasurable one. We are all here to find the truth of who we are together or divided. But still in all, we are here to find that truth. And so thank you, Mr. Tucker, so much for just sharing, man. Thank you for having me. I, I, I This has been great. I, I mean, it's sort of like kindred spirits on the same wavelength. So yes. this has been great. And thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Mr. Tuck, where can the people find you? Please put in all your information, your plug, whatever you want to let people know, email, whatever you have that you want people to know how to reach you. Please let them know. Sure. So I have a, a, a blog called Motivational Check. And it's motivationalcheck.com. Every day I put up a thought for the day and there's usually a question that goes with it, something for you to think about. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a a video or a story. But I understand people's time is at a premium. So, you know, get in, get, get a quick hit of inspiration or motivation and then get on with your day. You can also get my book, which is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. You can get that at Motivational Check. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple, anywhere you can get a book online, you can get Sustainable Excellence. So if you want to send me a note or something like that, go to motivationalcheck.com and you can leave me a note and I'd love to hear from you. So I look forward to it. Yes, sir. And is are there any uh, products, any other products uh, that, you, that you have out there? Okay. Just, just the book. That, that's all I have right now. Okay, the book. And again, your mission is to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation and as much love back into the world as I possibly can. Sir, 
I straight shot that to you like Kobe right there, and you came back like Shaq and dunked that. Man, that's 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 called an alley. Mr. Tucker, one more time. I think the crowd had something they wanted to say. They were too much tonight. They were too much tonight. They are really cutting up tonight. They never applauded this much, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. But Mr. Tucker, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your brother. You know, bless you and, and bless your walk, man. You know, like like mad love and respect, man. It, I really, it's it's good to see or experience connecting with with people who are living in their truth, truly, truly, and you can truly see it and feel it. You know, it just amp- amplifies the truth that's that's inside of you. So again. I could keep going on and on, but thank you, brother. Let me say thank you to you as well, because I, the way I, you know, I, I told you what I'm about and it's good people like you that allow me to come on and hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in the lives of your audience. And if we do that, today's been a good day. For the first time, I think ever, he has the final word. I don't have any more to say. God bless and stay lit. Do you tell your time what to do, or does your time tell you what to do? Are you living, or are you merely existing? Are you constantly reacting, or are you responding to life? Mixed beliefs create confusion, and confusion creates a life of stagnation. Desire change? Visit www.becomeanoutlier.com slash about. That is www.becomeano U-T-L-I-E-R becomingoutlier.com slash about A-B-O-U-T to start your journey. Stay tuned for more episodes and keep listening to the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner.